listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 454. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with season one of the Fox series Fringe. And we want to welcome Bert to our Patreon family. Thank you, Bert, for supporting the podcast, and, uh, you know, hope to hear from you. So, uh... I think we spoke too soon about the nice weather and spring sports last week. We were chatting a little bit. Uh, it's been about uh, 35 the last couple of days, and my house sounds like it's about to blow down. Um, well, especially your your re- recording room there, is, I remember, uh, gets pretty cold, right? It does get pretty cold. Uh, got my uh, furry slippers on, so I'm doing nice. okay so far. All right. So far, That's all uh, you need. Yep, but oh man, is it windy? So, well, anyway, yeah, we um, we were well. My you know my uh, sons are both on spring break, and they both came home for like one night to have dinner and just do some family stuff. And while they're here, I'm like, all right, we'll go and change the oil in the cars while you're at it. And uh, we were out there, and Brendan was under the car, and the as the oil was draining, all of a sudden the wind whipped through and just started blowing the oil right in his face. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. Yeah, it was pretty funny, actually. It looks like something you'd see out of a Three Stooges episode yes. or yes. something. In this case, well, I guess with me, there were Three Stooges there, but you know, usually just the two. <laughs> nice. Well played. Thank you. All right. Well, anyway, I uh, want to thank our other patrons, Fred, of course, Dan, Richard, Travis, Mark, Cindy, Tobias, and Mike, if you guys want to... Uh, Contact us, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can do that. Check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. You want to go first with uh, what you're watching? Sure. Uh, got a couple you sound excited. Yeah. Oh, because I, I started watching a new show I'm really excited about. So, And it's not Ozark season four, though Ozark season four is, it's Ozark, you know, I mean, it's very solid show. You know, you, you expect the unexpected in it. You know, you know you're going to see some messed up stuff happening, and, and certainly season four does not disappoint. So yeah, I'm enjoying it. The uh, their 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 son. They have two kids. You know, I mean, you know the premise, right? Like a sure bookkeeper from Chicago who's uh, laundering money goes to Missouri and uh, starts doing the same stuff there. Um, and his son is like I guess his son they say is supposed to be like fifteen or something, except the the actor is obviously like pushing twenty, you know. Um, but you know, he's just sometimes just like I'm not in support of corporal punishment, but man, this kid is a prime example of just <laughs> needed an ass whooping, maybe. I no, I'm just kidding. I do not not support that at all. Yeah. Maybe um, get Will Smith involved. Yeah, well, you know, we are talking about alopecia today, so you know, I, 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 I'm gonna, we're gonna, we're laying off the jokes there. You never know where that guy's hanging out, you know. Like, so, uh, the show I'm really excited about, though, is um, "Our Flag Means Death." I don't know if you've seen anything about that on HBO. Yeah, I've seen a, you know, I know about it. I haven't seen it at all. Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, I think Taika Watiti is, I don't know if he's the showrunner. I know he's heavily involved with it. It has a lot of earmarks of his type of humor. Uh, the main actor in it, I don't know if you would have seen him in anything, but he played Murray in um, The Last of the Concords. Flay the, Con- Flay the Concords. Um, so Flay the Concords, New Zealand, uh, kind of goofy folk rock type of group. And, and Murray was their manager and, 
Uh, he's, he's he's very very funny. Um, you know, all, the the whole cast is is ridiculously funny, and it's a just a very enjoyable show. And, you know, half hour installments, not even a little little shorter than half hour for each episode. So it's it's kind of up your alley, Dave. You might want to give it a try. All right, all right, sounds good. I have mentioned many times I'm, I typically don't watch too many films, but Black Crab kept showing up in my Netflix feed as one of the yeah same top movies, and I finally was in a situation where I thought, all right, I'll give this a, a shot. Have you seen it? No, it just brings back bad memories to that one time in college when I fell asleep on a bed of the of a dude on my lacrosse team yelling. Well. I'm not sure how that ties in because uh, oh, black crabs. You know, oh, okay. Just, oh, yeah. okay. Well, it's a po- <laughs> post-apocalyptic thriller starring Numi, Numi Rapace, who I certainly know uh, from the girl with the dragon tattoo, the right. Swedish version originally. And she's a military conscript who's picked as part of a six person team to skate across the ice with an unidentified package that might end the war and grab victory from the hands of defeat. So does she get a hockey stick too? Well, you know, the thing about it is apparently this body of water was frozen and this is uh, basically the only way they can carry out this mission. So they found six people that could skate and she's of course the lone female and, and they're, you know, making comments about, you know, whether or not she's going to be able to, execute the mission which of course we know for a variety of reasons it's probably going to end up that she's the only one left um so i won't give too many spoilers away but other than the but, one you just did yeah the, <laughs> yeah well again i i right well that's that's yeah, i mean you, 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 if you if you don't go into this movie thinking that then you really don't watch another genre right right but but part of the problem with this film it's and i saw this written somewhere it's the wrong film at the wrong time and i say that because you start watching it and you realize that it's basically a civil war taking place in europe and you know you've got the this side that is clearly outmatched and they're just desperately hanging on and with what's going on in the Ukraine, it, it really just got yeah. me to the point where I couldn't watch it anymore. So after about wow. 20 minutes, I stopped. Now, I did go back and finish it. I, I will say that. And, and, you know, after that first 20 minutes or so, then they're out of the city and all of that. And I was sort of able to put put those thoughts aside. All of that said, you know, it's okay. It's very predictable aside from the one point that I, I made about her character, I, I would say there are a lot of better ways to spend two hours than black crab, but you know, I, I don't feel like Netflix owes me those two hours back. But, right. uh, <laughs> They've given but, so much, honestly. Yeah. But my wife and I are currently getting our erotic thriller fix on at the moment. And, uh, Ooh, do we're tell. watching, yeah, Dark Desire, which is again nice. all over Netflix. It's a Mexican series, two seasons, thirty-three episodes. You know, like your show, they're thirty to thirty-five minute episodes, which is great. Um, married woman falls in with a twenty-five-year-old who also happens to be her student. Of course, she's a college professor, but but still, um, ah, and then saucy. Yeah, I'm telling you. Um, 
<laughs> that dude, they don't go more than about five minutes without nudity in this show. Oh, so, what's the name of the show again? There, Dark Desire. <laughs> okay, you know, and, and uh, dude, my wife loves it. You, you, look, it's it is what it is. The acting is pretty good for, for uh, you know for this kind of a story, I guess. Uh, as I was saying to my wife, the thing that I notice because the production values are are high, the acting is is pretty good, uh, but things like the fight scenes, they are so cheesy. And I said to her, they probably figured nobody's watching this for the fight scenes. Let's I was just, about to you know, say, here's what here's what we want you guys to do. Do it we're moving on to the film in the next scene. <laughs> so uh, that, you know, that's sort of, you know, I guess one of the, the downsides. The other one we watched was called devotion, a story of love and desire and pretty much rinse and repeat. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I asked my wife last night, did she want to watch, uh, Oh gosh, I forget what show that she absolutely loves. And she says, no, let's keep watching this. I'm like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> so, uh, Anyway, um, I, I will say that apparently in Mexico, the silicone industry is very strong, apparently. So, All right. Dark I'll desire. I'll <laughs> just leave it at that. So, uh, yeah, you know, something we don't ordinarily watch. A nice uh, change of pace from all the murder shows we watch. But uh, there you go. All right. Let's get to Fringe. Episode 15 of season one titled Inner Child, written by Julia Cho, who had a hand in Power Hungry and Dreamscape, and Brad Caleb Kane, who worked on The Cure and The No-Brainer, directed by Frederick Toye, Ghost Network, Dreamscape, and Bound, aired April 7th, 2009. So we're, you know, we're within a couple weeks of when it actually aired. You know, we got a, a classic standalone, which was sort of a disappointment after last week, and... I guess, fortunately, whatever, they came through with a pretty good standalone. I will say that. Um, yeah. This was a pretty good one. And we, we were expecting At least I was expecting it. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, like, I guess I I was hoping. Yeah. But, I mean, like, you know, it's what they did before. You know, they threw us a, a carrot and really pushed the story forward. And then it's like, then the very next week they went to a standalone. So. Yeah. But, I mean, you sometimes wonder how Olivia doesn't just offhandedly mention you know what they learned the week before in the course of uh, them standing around the lab but again whatever um well executed standalone i mean it does move the needle a bit but outside of the observer elements i i'm not sure it really does anything for the overall arc again which is fine i mean well still- and- and at the end is only like the insinuation that this kid will is the observer or something, you know, like, well, yeah, but I mean, I guess for me, you know, I don't remember what I thought when I saw it originally, but, but certainly here, you know, we already know about the observer. We've already met him and, and seen him on several occasions. So, I mean, I'm certainly making that connection about whether this kid is an observer, but uh, I, I think one of the most fascinating aspects of this episode is how the hell did he get down there if it's been sealed up for 70 years? Right. Well, so, I mean, the insinuation is that the CIA put him there. 
Well, you know, did they? I mean, was the CIA even around 70 years before that? Uh, I mean, you know, you figure yeah. at that point, 2009, we're in, in, you know, I'm doing quick math. What is that, like the 1940s? I, I don't know if the CIA was around then. My thought was, did the observers put him there? Is this some sort of, uh, I don't know, and I don't want to say like a test, but. July 26, some- 1947. Okay. The CIA. Okay. Yeah. So it is possible then that, that they did that. Now, actually, 1947, we know what happened in 1947 is the Roswell crash. So is there some sort of uh, weird connection here? Uh, I don't know. but Maybe. So. So, yeah, I mean, certainly we we do consider that the CIA may have something to do with this kid. Although, as as Michaels says, uh, you know, when we overhear him on the phone, I think we found another one. So did they lose them? I mean, if you you sealed him up in this building, I, I would tend to wonder, well, why didn't you know right where he was? Did you lose all the paperwork? That, that told you where all these guys were. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't really know. And I'm not even sure we really have a clue. We, we to- don't. We just have maybe a vague insinuation that Broyles makes as he's clearly fishing for leverage to try and get this guy Michaels to not go looking for the kid, right? Right. And right away, we we know Michaels is sketchy. Now, you know, he introduces himself as working for social services. And again, I forgot that it turns out that he's CIA. But even at social services, I know he's up to no good, even if it's just that he doesn't really have the kid's best interest at heart. Not that he's going to put him in some sort of an abusive situation or anything like that, but just that despite the protestations from Broyles and Olivia Dunham about how he can help us. Nope. Rules is rules, and uh, well, I'm yeah, taking but, them but with also, me. like, I mean, Olivia obviously does, you know, is concerned about the kids' well-being, but yeah, you, know, you think social services was as well, and though that, so that means really, Olivia's, which she admits to him later, her main reason for wanting to keep him around is so she can solve this murder case. Right, right, and, and they do juxtapose her relationship with this kid and her relationship with her niece, Ella. And I think Fred even mentions in his feedback that it's almost, we see a little softer side of Olivia in this episode. And and we see it in general, despite the horrific nature of the crime. And, and again, for, for a standalone, I really love the way they blend the crime committed by the artist with you know this kid they find in in that building and you know the way the two you know can work together in in terms of the plot for this episode so you know again i think the writers did a a nice job here you know we'll talk about grade and fred has his grade we'll get to that uh a little while but but the other thing you know michael says i think we found another one my initial reaction is well of course he's talking about the boy and then yeah. when we see the observer on the street, I start thinking, well, is he talking about an adult? You know, again, we we'll go ahead and jump to the 
end scene when, when the doctor's driving the boy away and we see the observer on the street walking with his briefcase and, and the kid sees him and it's like they both see each other. So what does that mean? Well, I mean we don't know. I, right. I mean, I got to believe it's more than just him recognizing somebody that looks like him. I mean, he, I, well, because he senses him before he sees him, right? Like he's sitting in the car. He looks, he's got like a vague smile on his face. You know, he's feeling pretty good. All of a sudden, his total demeanor changes. And he looks out the window, boom, there's the observer. So he senses him before he sees him. And, um, you know, it doesn't seem like he's super thrilled by what he senses. Yeah, and I guess that's my next question. What is it that he senses? Is it more, you know, thoughts rather than visual? I mean, I, yeah, I don't know how you, you sense a visual, but it, it almost leads into that that question about how is does this kid know the information that he passes on to Olivia? Because you know, we we get into that explanation by walter that the the boy is apparently an empath and he knows olivia wants to solve this crime but uh, you know olivia doesn't have any of this information that the boy provides so how does he provide it and then it gets me to thinking that first time we see the observer and he's sitting in the diner watching that construction site and writing in his notebook and he's got his binoculars or whatever they are. And it's as if he knows this event is going to happen at this precise time. So does this kid possess some sort of innate knowledge or information like the observer? So that's what really makes me think he's an observer of yeah. some point. Well, the, and he, he very he may very well be and I feel like I'm pretty sure that there were uh, no, this isn't a spoiler. I don't think that this kid's in other episodes. I can't remember if he was or not. I feel like he is. I feel like maybe we get some kind of answers that we're looking for here. But you know, the observer seems like he has like that notebook, right? So it yeah. seems like he has like a record of when things occur and, and and knows them not by feeling it necessary, but by you know following this record that's that he's got here um <laughs> so i don't know I, I i think they they certainly i mean they, they couldn't make more of an insinuation if they tried right like we are definitely meant to believe that this kid is going to grow up to be the observer um and especially since you know the i think that scene you mentioned is the only other time that the observer has been in for more than a flash, right? Uh, yeah, right. So much so that you, you probably, you know, this is 15 episodes and we've probably missed the scene the observer was in half the time. It's done so quickly. Uh, but they, the camera really lingers on him as the boy drives by. And I'm just like, that, that's meaningful, man. You know? That they're they're definitely telling us that this is a very important. I, I shouldn't say meeting, but this is a, an important moment. Well, I mean, one of the things that I think we have to consider when, when we have a character in the present that seems to know things that are going to occur in the future, 
we can't help but consider time travel as a possibility and after you know the discussion of time travel and teleportation devices last week and and uh you know previous episodes with david robert jones you know that thought is there even though i don't really think he's a time traveler so if we get to the you know idea that he he is an empath and can read people's thoughts and and feelings does he have long range abilities? I mean, is he getting this information from the killer, from the artist? Because yes. outside of that, nothing else makes real sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we don't know for sure because it's not like the kid talks and says, "Well, here's what I'm feeling," and he, you know, like, but you know, clearly he is able to reach out and see in the artist's head or whatever and know where he is and what he's thinking. So uh, the other thing that occurs to me is the CIA now going to interfere with Olivia and Broyles' team and, and, and perhaps, you know, push Harris to the side. Probably not. Uh, I don't yeah, think I think we're done be, with Harris. Yeah. Well, we're done with them, but I don't know if the show's yeah. done with them. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and certainly they're not going to introduce another, you know, pain in the ass like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the the first scene is that demolition teams preparing to blow up an old building and the one guy has a feeling and goes back so again i think fred mentions this in his feedback is the kid sending out signals and is that what draws the man back in and if that's the case well why didn't you do that sooner right or as fred mentions does the kid understand that the building's about to be blown up and I'm going to get blown up with it. So still yeah. begs the question, why you wait till the last minute to, right. to do that? Right. Well, you know, he is probably a preteen, so, you know, that might have something to do with it, but, uh, right. yeah, you know, well, there's a couple of things about this scene. First of all, when the scene opens up with people handling explosives, my thought immediately was, oh, these are the bad guys right away. Yes, exactly. They're, yeah, they're not at all. Then when I saw they were a demolition team, I'm like, oh, is this like, you know, that first scene we see up the observer? Are they are they showing it from a different point of view? Of course, that also was incorrect. So yeah, th- that the question that Fred raises is a really really good question. Um, I don't know did, if they said anything about how long the building had been, you know, like not in use but i don't think that's I, I think probably fred's theory seems to be the the most valid in that you know he just sensed somehow that all of a sudden his this place where he was is going to come falling down about his ears and this is how he could get out yeah i mean we, we get down to the tunnel underneath and, and dude i i think we're we're both suckers for the hidden rooms the hidden chambers and, sure. and what the hell was going on down here so so we get down there and like the guy says well this wasn't on the plans but we see what looked like a jail type you know uh, area like they're locking somebody in there right. we saw we see beds you know lined up against the wall so so clearly somebody was living down here and whether it, it was the kid and, and he's just been down there so long that all of this stuff decayed, you know, somebody asked, well, what's he eating? And Walter's like, oh, rats and millipedes, a lot, a lot of protein, which, you know, yeah. 
of course, is very Walter. It also brings up the idea of a child living totally isolated from the rest of society. And and I can't remember whether it's Walter or Peter that's paging through that book with, uh, you know, different examples throughout right. history, which were, I guess, real examples. They are. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, the, the French one I know for sure is. Yeah. I think actually the X-Files might have used one of those stories as a, a jumping off point, uh, you know. Yeah. And that's, but, that's a, uh, a really, I mean, I just remember from the, the, the girl, the French feral child, it's just a really interesting case study because um, she never learned how to speak. Like her, she had grown, it was this kind of show how children have this uh, language acquisition phase of their lives. And if they go beyond that developmentally, that they'll never, you know, acquire language at all. And that's what this, uh, this girl in France, it's one thing I remember about that. It's kind of fascinating. Right. Part of that and, case. right. And they bring up several times about the fact that the kid has not spoken. And, and of course, we know that the observer talks because, you know, has, has conversations with Walter uh, at the diner. But, you, you know, how he knows how to write is, I, I think, an interesting question. That, well, again, also, we, we that have, he, he knows how to write upside down. So, well, well, yeah, somebody says that, and I'm thinking like, oh, well, yeah, okay, but the fact that he can write at all, right. and that he can write in English, so, uh, you know, that's, again, well, perplexing, just, but... Yeah, I just think it's it's reflective of how he's seeing the the letters that he learned, he saw them being created in that manner, upside down, right? Right. Right. So, and of course, I just found that even, fascinating. I thought that was really wild. Yeah, and, and of course, not even remotely the most perplexing thing in Fringe. So, well, let's, right. <laughs> let's not get carried away. Uh, and then that fax comes into the FBI office, and, and Charlie's reaction, uh, this is why I don't like, I mean, I like Charlie. Stop it. This is the thing. Stop I mean, it. Come on. Did anybody get, take anything? Jeez, chill. No, well, no nobody took no, it. No, why there. would he chill, man? This is the artist. This is the big case that they they didn't solve, man. You know, like yeah. So I mean, very creepy. She he calls Liv. The artist is back, and and uh, you know, I like when she's about to tell Broyles, no, nah, no, nah, I can't do that. And he goes, yes, you can. Uh, put that on hold. Which is like very heavy handed because I mean, let's face it. I mean this artist thing is pretty important too you know it's like Rose is just always supposes as you know what he's dealing with is more important than what anyone else is dealing with well that's true he needs to get over himself Um, now i have absolutely no recollection rachel tells olivia she's going apartment hunting i mean it just seems to me that if she gets her own apartment her appearances already are few and far between are we just going to zero her out of the show or is something going to happen to keep her you know because olivia i mean look on the one hand she's not at her apartment all that often right so when she says no stay as long as you want and it is her sister who she gets along with and apparently she has a two-bedroom apartment i i don't know whatever but it doesn't seem as if olivia's that excited for them to move on so i i think in one respect she likes having them there i mean she's yeah. 
Brill, brilliant with Ella. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, yeah, totally. And and Fred and you are absolutely right that when she's with her family, that we get to see you know different side of Olivia. You know, I I would think just that the you know the writers or the showrunners are like, well, you know, we want Olivia to be able to go back to her apartment every now and then, and not have a little kid there. Um, especially if they're looking to, you know, I mean, like we're already shipping, we're, we're doing the shipping with Peter, but you know, if, you know, if she wanted to have a romantic encounter, it's tough when you have the the family there. So just as a way of making that a possibility, they can, you know, put the, you know, the sister and the daughter in a apartment in Boston where we can still have these scenes of live, you know, hanging out and stuff like that, but then they're not, you know, it's not obligatory that whenever they have an interior shot of Liv's apartment, that the you know Rachel and and Ella have to be part of it. Yeah, and if Olivia's not interested in Peter, well, you know, I think Rachel and Peter make a good yeah. couple. But uh, sure, um, we we get several great responses from Walter, and and uh, when they're at the hospital with the boy, and and you know he he disagrees with the doctor that. Unless you have a higher IQ than mine, I'm not interested in what you think. And in this episode, and and it's kind of become pretty de rigueur in the last few episodes. Peter's like, dude, chill. You know, he's got to yeah. rain Walter in a bit, and it's. I don't know if you've noticed. It just seems like whenever they're on a case now, Peter's sort of in the background. Seems to always be looking at his phone, which. For 2009, I guess people were doing that in 2009. Yeah, it's probably about the start of it, I guess. Yeah, not not the way they do it now. Yeah, but but that was only the beginning of the uh, the Walter lines. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll maybe give you the next one when we get to that in a second. But did you notice the they call her in the uh, IMDb list of uh, characters? They just refer to her as Tattoo Girl. Right when the artist is in the wheelchair and he's chatting up yes. the blonde, did you recognize her? Uh, I mean, she looked familiar, but no. Well, I, I mean, I, I thought the same thing, but I looked her up. She was the daughter in the '80s sitcom Roseanne. Okay, I would never been able to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, once I knew that, I thought, oh yeah, okay, I, I, I see that. Yeah. You well, know, and, and you know. I mean, this is kind of like classic creepy guy stuff, right? I mean, the guy, sure. you know, he's creeping you out in the laundromat. And just because he's in a wheelchair doesn't mean he's not creepy. That's right. sure. insulting, right? That You know, sure. he's still creepy just like any other creepy person. <laughs> but, you know, again, he, he knows how to garner, you know, sympathy. And, you know, it's very – like, what? Well, well, see, I, I just I, – I, I question – how this guy is successful because he's nabbing these women in broad daylight. I think the three people we see him abduct, it's all done in the day. Yeah. Broad daylight. Other people, like the one, the third one, there's like kids leaving for school. Like, how does he pull that off? Like no one notices the lady getting, you know, shoved into the trunk of a car. Or a van, actually, you know. So, yeah. yeah, that was just the one part of this that I mean, I know like serial killers are successful because the ones that are successful, they are so because they're 
intelligent and because they they have no there's no pattern right there's no motive there's just you know it's all random but this just seemed to stretch believability a little i think yeah there might be people out there say hey wade here's this serial killer and he did all this shit too so yeah yeah good point the the one scene i want to jump to next is when olivia goes to see walter for some thoughts on you know how the boy knows these things and uh, apparently it's it's very late at night peter answers the (laughs) answers the door and then uh you know walter's like no can it wait and he's like no it can't and walter comes to the door it's like he perks right up he goes oh agent dunham and he's in his bathrobe but uh in the course of his talking about what the possibilities are uh, Peter reminds him that, uh, you know, Walter, you might want to cover up there just a bit. Agent Dunham seen a penis before, which, you know, yes. Ha- haven't you, Agent Dunham? She doesn't want to see yours, Walter. She's <laughs> right. probably had a choice before of seeing the penis. And in this particular well, case, you, she doesn't want to. Well, you know, I kept uh, looking at her for a reaction, and I thought she was going to smile. What do you say? What do you do? It just goes, I mean, you know what? I think she's been around Walter Bishop now long enough that it, it just doesn't even phase her that back to the matter at hand. And he says, well, the boy's having thoughts. We just haven't been able to hear them, which then, you know, leads us to him bringing out the halo again. And Peter makes a good point that, oh, Oh, you can modify it so you don't have to drill into the kid's skull. Yeah. You, you might have given that option to the other guy. Yeah, why? Why did you come up with that before? You know, the last time you had to do it. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's funny. You know, Fred mentions it that this this thing is just a kind of a big red herring that they devote a lot of time to this, and it really it ends up being not at all important to the plot at all. Yeah, like they don't. They don't. That's not how they find the killer, right? Well, you know, it, it's the yellow M and M's that the boy has shaped into an arrow. That's you know very reminiscent of the air freshener as as they're uh, you know doing their car stops there, and um, you know. But but even before that, he's in the lab and Astrid's showing him Bugs Bunny on the uh, computer monitor, and, and the kid smiles. So, I Bugs Bunny's classic. What, well, it is. Even if you've been and, in and a Astrid hole for seventy years, you you yeah, you, yeah. you can appreciate that humor. Yeah, but I don't know. I I just I don't know if we're going to get more about this kid or not, I just don't remember. I know you said a few minutes ago, you, you think we will. I, 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 don't, don't, I, remember. I don't remember. I just, I vaguely think maybe, but I, I honestly can't remember whether we do or not. Right. But Walter doing that little dance with the music to put the boy at ease before putting the halo on his head. Just wonderful. And I love Olivia. Nicely done, Walter. I I think for her after the uh, incident at the apartment, it just it just came at the perfect time. And Peter showing the kid the little GI Joe, and and then funny I always remember the scar being on the other side. Yeah, which, which we'll talk about yeah. later. Well, um, here's here here is uh, my complaint to the makers of the GI Joe toys. 
<clears throat> Dear G.I. Joe Toys, that I collected a lot when I was a kid, and then I went back to pull them out for like nephews and younger cousins and stuff, and their torsos and their pelvises are no longer together because there's like a little like kind of piece of elastic in there that wore out. And so now I have a bunch of GI Joes whose their bottoms and their tops are separate from one another. And that you'd expect better for five bucks, an action figure. Thank you. Love Wayne. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, you know, I don't know any, anything else you want to mention that we haven't talked about? Oh, we're really just going to end on my going off about G.I. Joe's. Well, I mean, well, we can, or I can start telling a story about all the action figures I dug up at our old house in Columbia, but, you know. <laughs> uh, well, you know, Walter, who still is just, he, he is, he's making progress, I guess we can say, but still not 100% on the relating to other human beings scale, right? Like, so... His idea of how they can communicate with the kid is to give him an electric shock. Everyone else is like, no. <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, I'm sorry for people who drive around in vans with the windows blacked out, but come on. You figure this guy should have gotten caught ages ago. That, that van screams serial killer, you know? Oh, no kidding. No kidding. And I, I was a little surprised that it just seemed to be charlie and olivia out there now maybe there were other officers around that we didn't see but yeah well there's the other side of olivia right because she kicked the hell out of that guy oh yeah he didn't stand a chance Uh, and that was the thing i was thinking that if he had somehow managed to subdue her no no i'm not buying that for a second no i was surprised it took her so long to to beat him up yeah i guess well she's not you know she's not a big woman i mean she's probably yeah. like what five six 125 something like that but but again she's trained and it's Olivia yeah. Dunham for crying out loud. right so. yeah yeah well she was in the marines you know like so right sure uh new parents um the best way to get your kid to eat is not by feeding them m&ms that's not good, good. it's not good parenting right there though i will admit that in fact, my wife just did, because we had all the kids home on um, this weekend, as I, as I said before, and so we did a classic backwards night, as my wife calls it, which means they have the ice cream sundae first, and, and then have dinner after that. So I guess every now and then, as a treat, it's okay. All right. I like it. Um, oh, oh, the one thing about Rachel, she's like about to tell Liv something, and then the phone rings. We're like, oh, I must have missed that. Yeah. Um, so, like, because Liv gets home, and they're talking about why, you know, like, Chase Lee, you know, why are you still up? Have you even been here back at all? Have you eaten? Have you slept since whatever? And then Liv is, turns to Rachel. She's like, hey, why are you still up? And then Rachel's about to answer, and then Liv's phone rings. And so we never get that why Rachel is up. So that's something. Okay. okay. Good right? point. Maybe yeah. the ex-husband has uh, resurfaced. Yeah. I, okay. I don't I don't know. Apparently, Walter feels that an omelet, a good omelet, is harder to make than a mind machine. 
So <laughs> no, that was great. But yeah, that dance was was classic Walter. You know, I guess if you're in the CIA and you have the um the the empath that has been locked in the basement for 70 years, you should just take him back with you and not give the FBI another day with him. Yeah. That was just, not a uh, great yeah. You sure? Now you promise me you're going to give him to me tomorrow? Promise? Pinky promise? Okay. Yeah, sort of an offshoot sure. of the uh, Prince Oberon. You can have new crazy yeah. kids, you. Yep. Yeah, so. Um, all right. I think that might be it for me. Okay. All right. Well, let's hear what Fred's got for us in his feedback this week, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Vane, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Fringe Season 1, Episode 15. Good episode. I gave it an 8 on IMDb, so that would be B+, I think. Very nice episode when it started with this child in these, what was it, underground tunnels, cellars, whatever. Actually, I didn't understand what it was. And I saw this kid completely white in a corner there. I really got a golem feeling. So Lord of the Rings, a golem. This child played his role further on in the episode quite good, I think. With only telling stories with your eyes, no verbal communication. I think for an adult actor, this is already very difficult. Um, so I think this child did a, did a very nice job. A bit story of the week episode, no tie-in with David Robert Jones, which I found a little bit of pity. On the other hand, I think they saved these pearls where... David Robert Jones plays a role as a kind of extras and they disperse them all over the season or seasons. At the end, it gets, of course, a connection to the overarching story by the observer. And of course, we get the impression that he is just a little observer. I wondered if the observers could speak, but I went back to episode 4 to look where the observer orders his sandwich in that restaurant where the construction work is next to it. He did speak, although in very short, uh, no, yeah, even not of sentences, but words. One of the things I wondered if the kid also could send signals, because when we see that Olivia is in that meat factory where it's cold, that the kid starts to freeze. But in the very beginning, there was this one construction guy that went back to the cellar and discovered him. He stood there very still and it's kind of he received some kind of signal. So could the kid not just be very empathic and sensitive, but also send signals? Which then becomes for me a little bit a nitpick, because after so long time in this cellar, why should he suddenly send signals? Well, one of the reasons could be because he senses that the whole building on top of him will be demolished by explosives. So he is really threatened now. And he never took contact with humans, but now he does because he could die in the collapsing building. Perhaps that's also the meaning of the one phrase this CIA agent says. He says on his phone to some supervisor or whatever, we found another one. 
So that could possibly be another observer. I see quite some different acting by Anna Torf actually when she is interacting with children. You see that especially of course this in this boy, but also when she is together with her niece. She becomes quite a sweet woman. One little nitpick, they did all their best to hear what the child was thinking, but eventually they didn't do anything with the sounds that did come from him. Okay, that will be all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Now, we talked a lot about what Fred had in his feedback already. He gives it an 8 on IMDb, which he equates to a B plus, And I think that's a pretty fair grade for this one. That's, that's what I was thinking. For me to be in the A range, even A minus, you, you got to make more headway with the overall arc. But as a standalone, I think... Well, I guess the kid potentially being the observer isn't enough of a headway for you, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it just they just throw it out there a little bit. So I don't know. I'm thinking B plus. What do you think? I like thinking? B plus. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, I was just giving you a, shit for no reason. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, he mentions about the child actor doing a nice job, and I agree because he had to do it all with facial expressions. Yeah. And and, you know, some gestures, but but not really very many gestures. So I, I think that's a lot more difficult than, you know, maybe we're ready to, to give the kid credit for. So the, the you know, the, the young actor did a, a wonderful job with yeah, that. Outstanding job. Uh, I mean, the, the, the plus is you don't have any lines you have to remember. But, you know, the, the minus is that the does require you to do some like real acting with like you know using like all your your facial muscle muscles and everything um also the makeup you know hats off to the makeup too because you know the as he progresses through the the episode he looks more and more healthy right yeah right right so the makeup yeah. that they did especially in the beginning to make him seem sallow and malnourished was was very very good all right, anything else from Fred's, Fred's feedback that we haven't talked about already? Uh, yeah, we talked. About, I think we talked about everything else already, so yeah. Thank you, Fred, once again. All right, well, let's get to the spoiler zone. And let's as we it. tell you guys each week, if you haven't seen the entire series, stop listening to the podcast now and come back next week. All right, well, obviously it's the toy soldier this time. Yeah. And uh yeah. And you know, I, I I debated whether this had to go into the spoiler zone. I mean, obviously it did to a certain extent, but since we threw out there last week the whole idea of a multiverse and you know this this coming war, uh I I think some astute viewers maybe you're going to make that connection that, oh, does this have something to do with the multiverse? Because look, I mean, a lot of the viewers of Fringe are pretty well grounded in sci-fi sure. television and sci-fi. Uh, I, I guarantee you there are some people that figured it out, but I guarantee you I was not one of them the first time well, I saw this. <laughs> and that scar thing went straight over my head. But now right. it sticks out like, you know, like it's very prominent as a line. You know, like line, those little kind of little, you would almost call them a throwaway line. I mean, you know, now knowing what we know, you're just like, wow, that, you know, that, that's actually really cool how they did that. 
Right. So now the question, and you know, again, I I don't remember, but I feel I don't remember any specifics. But now it seems like we're going to start seeing little details like that related to Peter that will you know make sense in terms of you know the multiverse theory and the fact that well you this is not your toy that's why you remember it right or they yeah in the other universe your gi joes actually did have a scar on the other side because your universe is just slightly different than than this one right that's what i'm saying this this is the other peter's toy and uh, right 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 well and also you know uh Walter says, you'll remember this, Peter, but you didn't talk much also as a child. It's just like, ah, there's another one, you know, like, you know, like, of course, Peter doesn't remember it because it wasn't him. So while there, you know, wasn't much else, at least that I noticed in terms of spoiler zone material, this was pretty powerful stuff. I Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think you agree. Uh, Was there anything I missed that you wanted to... I don't talk about it? think so no i mean i i honestly don't remember if the kid if we see him again i just i feel like we do but i can't remember whether we and i, and I obviously i could just look on imdb and see was he yeah. in more than one episode i, I, I don't think he was okay but because i did look him up and I, I don't think he was but okay well then why the hell not <laughs> you know, well yeah, you think that question. this is a story that you can totally come back to but i guess you got you get to a point you've got you know a lot of story to tell and you don't necessarily have time to bring back everyone you know all right um anything else before we get out of here i think that's all i got okay All right, well, that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Fringe, anything else going on in your genre TV world. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about Season 1, Episode 16 of Fringe. But until then... You know, my wife doesn't listen to a lot of our episodes. Every now and then she'll listen to one. The other day I saw her, I caught her listening to one, and she had this weird look on her face. I thought, I've seen that look before, usually before someone throws up. <laughs>